Hello, and welcome to the Heavenbound Podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and we are opening the Bible in search of fuel for your spiritual journey. This is where we talk about life, the way it was meant to be, and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the 21st century. Thanks for joining us on the journey today. Well, Jason, this month we are looking at the idea of reading our Bibles, and we're, we're talking about practical tips for Bible reading. And a lot of folks at the beginning of a new year want to kind of have a resolution or just kind of a reminder, I need to get back into the Bible a little bit more. And, and the Bible is a big book. And it's an old book, and sometimes that can be overwhelming. Where do I start? And and then once you've picked a place to begin, you start reading this, and it doesn't read like a lot of other books sometimes. And sometimes we're overwhelmed, and before long we get discouraged, we close it, and we don't get about accomplishing these things. And so what we're doing in this series this month on Fridays is trying to give you some practical tips that will help you. And in our first lesson, we just simply talked about getting your bearings right. The idea of uh, the location, the the type of Bible, and, and just getting in the habit and the rhythm of reading the Bible. Those are all essential things as you get started. Now, the next layer we're going to talk about, which takes us today, and that is appreciating the context. And when you read your Bible, it's not like, okay, I just randomly open to this verse today, close it tomorrow, randomly open to that verse, and you may get a thought or two out of all that, but you're missing so much. You're missing the background, and why was this spoken? What's What's going on in all these things? And so appreciating the context will help us learn our Bible better, and it will help us to come to greater uh, application and becoming what God wants us to be. And so that's where this lesson is going to take us today. Yeah, you you get excited about building or uh, buying a house for the very first time in your life, and if you've got a parent or a grandparent or a good realtor, Odds are they're going to use one word with you over and over and over again. You'll hear location, 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 right? That is such a huge part of real estate. Well, a huge part of Bible reading is context, context, context. And all that we mean by that is taking what is in and around the text into consideration. It's not just allowing my Bible to fall open and reading one verse and lifting that completely out of its context, but appreciating what's going on around it, who we talking to, what are we talking about, how does it relate to my life. So Roger, if you're going to talk with, let's say your stereotypical high school student, and you were going to try and help them appreciate context and why it matters, where would you begin? Well, let's just begin with an example we find in our Bible, and that's found in Matthew chapter 4 at the temptation of Jesus, verse 6, Matthew 4, verse 6, we have the devil speaking to the de- to Jesus, and he quotes, he quotes from the book of Psalms. There he says, he will command his angels concerning you, on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
Now, we remember way back in Genesis chapter 3, he quoted Scripture to Eve, but he added a word. He changed the Bible. We are not in a position to add words or take words out. But here in Matthew, he quoted the passage accurately. When you go back and read it in Psalms, that's what, that's what the psalmist said. But he took it out of context. The Lord back in Psalms had no idea that that you'd use this verse to jump off a building and God's going to send angels down and protect you. That's not what this verse means. If you take this out of context, you can say, I can stand on the five-lane highway, hold my arms about, and God's <laughs> going to keep me from getting run over. Well, <laughs> you'll find out that's not what this verse means. And so, so this is an illustration for us to kind of get the bearings of the background of the passage. And so when you're studying your Bible, as Jason said, it's more than just reading a verse. Uh, every book of the Bible, all 66 books, have a purpose. They have a historical background. They have a writer. And all of that kind of flows in together. And so, for instance, if we were using this Matthew 4 as an example here, we would go up into the beginning of the chapter. And we'd find out that Jesus here is in the wilderness. And he's being tempted by the devil. That right there tells us whatever the devil says is probably not going to be right because he's tempting Jesus. And so as you go through, you're going to be noticing these things. You're going to be looking at the words carefully. And so to to read the story, to see how it begins and how it ends, that's the context. And so here in Matthew 4, the context of uh, Jesus' temptation goes from verse 1 really through verse 11. And you'd need to read all those verses to get the whole flow of what's going on there. Now, you may be interested in one particular verse here, and that's fine, but you need to read all of those verses to begin to see, okay, what's the setting? Where, where is this at? Who's speaking? What's taking place? And that begins to help mold this idea of what we mean by a context. Yeah, there are lots of, I mean, we could call them coffee cup verses maybe, <laughs> where, uh, you know, you will have a, a single statement from Scripture written on a coffee cup or in a pillow or on a T-shirt. I, I think, for instance, of Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Well, that's that's in the Bible, but it was spoken to a particular people at a particular time in a particular context. And I'm certainly not saying that we can't go back and learn from Jeremiah 29, 11, but to apply that to every situation imaginable. I mean, I have had people tell me when they are absolutely doing things that are out of bounds as defined by God, take me back to Jeremiah 29, 11. God knows the plans he has for me and he would want me to be happy. Or, uh, you know, Philippians 4, 13 gets thrown around all, all sorts of times in all sorts of different circumstances. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now I can put that on a t-shirt and I can have it embroidered on a headband and I can write that on my my tennis shoes. But Roger, that's not going to help me be able to dunk a 
basketball on a 10-foot basketball. No, and, that's, that's not going to happen for me. <laughs> and I think another one that's readily used is Romans eight twenty eight. Yeah. All things work together for good. Yeah. And so next door neighbor's house burns down. He's standing there in the ashes. Tears come down his face. And he walk up to him and said, let me give you some hope from the Bible. All things work together for good. Yeah. Well, uh, that's not exactly what that verse means. And, and so we see this in the media a lot today. A politician makes this long speech and a reporter pulls out a statement or two. Maybe he misapplies it and makes it sound like the politician saying things he really didn't believe in. Yeah. And so we say that's misquoting somebody. And so that's really what we're talking about here. To to get the understanding here is you have to understand the context. What was it God was intending to say here? Now, again, some examples of this. We go back and read Genesis chapter 6 about Noah and the ark. And God commands Noah to build this ark. No one around here feels compelled or feels guilty because we're not building a boat. Because that applied to Noah. Context tells you that. God wasn't speaking to every man of all time, of all nations, of all generations. He was speaking directly to Noah. And so, so context will define whether this, this passage applies to me or it's spoken to all people or a, spur, a, a specific person. The context of that will help you understand those things. Yeah. So, okay. We need to appreciate who's talking. Uh, you mentioned Satan. Uh, we can read in Psalm 14, verse 1, there is no God. <laughs> but the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The context matters, right? Okay, so who is talking? Who are they talking to? God told Noah, in your example, to build an ark. I would add to this whole thing, what kind of communication is this? And that is a giant step that we can take in our understanding of what's going on in the Bible. The Bible is full of all different kinds of communication. The, uh, the, the fancy word, I suppose, for that is genre, right? The kind of literature. And so we've got, for instance, prose. Prose is just very matter of fact communication, right? It's just a, a way of uh, transferring uh, a bit of information from one mind to the next. We've got narratives, stories, right? This is what happened. This is what Noah did, for instance. This is what he built that ark from, so on and so forth. But we've also got poetry. And the Psalms, for instance, are full of poetry. We we shouldn't read Psalms the way we do that account of Noah in Genesis. We've got Proverbs, right? These wise, short, memorable statements. I'll, I'll give you that famous example. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, that's a proverb. It's a proverb in the Bible, right? But we need to understand that is not a guaranteed promise from heaven. Just because a child is raised in the way they ought to go does not automatically mean that they will always choose the right path, right? It is a wise 
principle. We've got parables and prophecies. If we just allow our Bibles to fall open to Isaiah or Ezekiel, um, we're reading God-breathed communication here, but it's got a very specific context. Roger, one type of literature where people really easily get themselves in trouble is apocalyptic literature, right? This veiled and and unveiled sort of literature, especially that last book of the Bible, Revelation. The book Revelation, especially. And, and again, a lot of people will take statements out of that. They'll look at the local news or the national news and say, here it is. And we read about China doing this and North Korea doing this and Russia's always doing something. <laughs> and we say, okay, it talks about the West. It talks about the East. It talks about these forces moving around, and so they think it's talking about uh, these things. People, uh, I've, I've even read where somebody said that the uh, recent COVID nineteen uh, epidemic it, it was found in the Book of Revelation. Mm. I mean, they, you, you know, people are finding everything. Well, when you keep it in context. Okay, Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, verse 11, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet, saying, write in the book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Right there that tells us something, that this book had an immediate meaning for those people. Now imagine going to your mailbox and you get this letter, and the person who wrote this letter tells you what's going to happen in 2,000 years from now. Well, you, you wouldn't get too excited about that because you're not going to be here in 2,000 years. So, so this letter, we're to assume, was written to these seven churches, yet the events are not going to happen. for No, no, that makes no sense. The letter has an immediate context for the people there. So when we read Revelation, we got to look at it through the eyes of the first century Christian. That's to whom it was first meant to. And when we understand that, that again will help us to shape the understanding, the application of this, and to see that. Now, what's interesting from what Jason just said, you know, if we go to a bookstore today, you'll find, you'll find books that's under fiction. You'll find books that's under poetry. You'll find books that are historical. But when you come to the Bible, outside of the fiction, because there is no fiction in the Bible, we have all that as a mixture. So you got historical books, you got poetry books, you got books that are just matter of fact, you got books that just tell us commands, here they are. You got prophecy that takes a lot of digging to understand the the context and, and the background. So when you begin reading a book, it helps you understand what is this book? What, what, where would it fall under those genres? That will help me with my understanding. It helps me to understand what was this book written for? Why was this book written for? For instance, if we think about the first four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, easily to walk away, it's all about Jesus. They say the same thing, but they don't. Matthew, we understand, was written to Jews. So he's going to lean heavily upon the Old Testament. He's going to talk a lot about the kingdom. Luke was written basically for Gentile people to show that God accepts the unacceptable. So we have all these stories such as the prodigal son, the good Samaritan, God helping the helpless. 
Mark is real condensed. It's about written to Christians who are living in Rome, and so they already know the story. So he doesn't go through all the details you find in the other Gospels. John was written just universally, and so there's just fewer miracles, but more telling us about the Jesus and who he was. Now, you understand that when you look at these things, oh, that makes sense, and it helps you to understand those things. Well, and I love... um you know, what we've done is zero in on a couple of the tree trunks in all of this. Okay, we've got poetry and we got parables and apocalyptic kind of literature and different sorts of gospels with different approaches and backgrounds. But as we zoom way back out, um, so helpful to realize, okay, even though there are all different kinds of literature, there is harmony from cover to cover, right? Even though there are prophecies and parables and uh, histories of different peoples at different points and commandments to different people in different places, there is one big story, right? And so we're looking at this from really two different angles. Uh, We want to specifically understand who's being talked to, by whom, what's the intended aim, but realize as well, okay, it can be challenging to read about Nehemiah and Ezra in the Old Testament, and we need to appreciate their context, right? We don't go back to Nehemiah and then go home and and start building a wall in our backyard, and when the HOA comes knocking on our front door, tell them, well, it's in the Bible, it's right there in Nehemiah, so I'm going to build a wall in 52 days. I, I appreciate that this had a context But this is a part of the greatest story ever told, right? And I play a part in that story. And and in many ways, it helps to look at the Bible like a giant puzzle. Now, I'm not one who likes puzzles. If there's more than five pieces, I I don't do it, okay? (laughs) But, But every piece in a puzzle is unique in its own way. Has its own little picture on that, but when you but when you put it down, you notice it connects to another piece, yeah. which connects to another piece, and when all the pieces are together, there's this one giant picture, and that's really what the Bible's all about. Is there's one story, and that's about the salvation of mankind through Jesus Christ. This little piece over here, you may not see what it does with Jesus, but it fits with that other piece, which fits with this piece which helps us see that. And and when you appreciate that, you realize that these are not 66 independent books just thrown together and they have nothing to do with each other. They have everything to do with each other and they fit together and it helps you to see those things. Yeah, I, I think we need to be honest. There are very complex parts of the Bible, right? Nobody is is discounting that at all. One of the things that I would tell our hypothetical high school student is, you're going to run across, as you read God's Word, some things that are hard to understand. When you do, don't just gloss over those. Let's continue working on that, but let's continually fall back on the simple as a help for the complex, right? There are going to be times as I'm approaching Revelation that I'm just not sure what to do with that. Maybe the best thing I can do is start thinking, okay, where do I run across similar sort of language in 
the Old Testament? Are there simpler stories, simpler narratives that might help me wrap my mind around what is being communicated in this more complex book? And Roger, I I would just throw out finally, we're all always growing. We need to be very careful having the attitude or voicing the attitude, telling somebody else, well, I've always known everything from the very beginning. I've never changed my mind or altered my understanding. I've, I've never had to acknowledge, you know what? I, I don't think I knew as much as I thought I knew back then. We are all works in progress and that's, that's okay. And that's why you and I, who've been doing this for years and years, still read our Bible every single day. Absolutely. And every time you read it, now you, you may go, it may be like watching a movie you've seen over and over, and you can kind of quote it, you know what's going to happen, but you pick out things you didn't see before. And that's what we're doing when we're reading our Bible. We're seeing things, and we're listening, and, and we're reinforcing our faith with these things. And when you come to the complicated, you, you don't throw out what you already know. I've already learned this from from other places. Here's some truths I know that are absolute because the Bible teaches that. So it's not you're not going to find the Bible fighting against itself. It's either this one or it's that one. The Bible complements itself, and it's going to work together as a unit, and that that will help you. And as you think about appreciating this context, reading it, and so we're not talking about just reading one verse a day. We're talking about reading a section. And a paragraph or a chapter or several chapters to get the flow of what's going on as you see what God wants you to know. Practical tips for Bible reading. We really appreciate you engaging in this series with us. Lots of people are excited about Bible reading in January. We hope this gives you fuel and perspective to keep reading the Bible in February and March and beyond. Roger, Lord willing, next Friday we'll add another dimension to this whole thing, but we appreciate you joining us. We appreciate the opportunity to talk with you about the most important book in the world. We hope our simple conversation has helped you set your mind on things above and given you a little more fuel for the journey. Always remember, when you're walking with Jesus, you're heaven bound, and the best is yet to come.